Welcome to the Consortium Podcast, an academic audio blog of Kepler Education. Kepler is a consortium of independent classical Christian teachers unified by a shared vision for student flourishing. I'm Dr. Scott Postma, your host, and today I'm joined by the Soderbergs, Dr. Soderberg and Ms. Cynthia, and it's good to have you guys on the show today. Great to be here. All right. Well, so today we're going to be talking about all things classical Christian education, online education, and we're going to be talking about something very unique in classical education, and um, we're going to be talking about spellers. And it's probably not what you think, what naturally comes to mind when you think of a speller, you think of somebody who knows how to spell well, um, but we're talking about meeting some very particular needs in classical education for students with special needs, and they are called spellers. And so Miss Cynthia will talk a little bit about that. So Cynthia, um, would you start maybe just by a quick introduction, and then we'll go to Gregory, but uh, tell us a little bit about your background, about your education, your work, and, and why you got involved in this. Oh my, that's a big question. So um, background, I've always worked with special needs since I was a teen. Um, whether it's just caregiving uh, and just building on that through the years. Caregiving, taking care of a, a baby who needs um, special, you know, needs, needs tube feeding or something like that. Um, in college, I did the classical education emphasis at New St. Andrews and got some classroom experience, some teaching experience there. I've worked in classical schools, homeschooled my own children. Um, and through all of that, uh, we had some unique needs with our own children and foster children that we cared for and um, just built skills along the way. Um, I had the opportunity to work in a school setting with some special needs children, and one of them in particular had no, ling no uh, speech ability at all. And so my pursuit of spelling to communicate and uh, my work with spellers uh, springboarded from that, needing to find resources for him. And we were successful in that, and he's now able to communicate. Uh, I can speak with him about anything, and he's able to spell back his answers, and this has given him a, a way to, to tell us what's on his mind. Fantastic. So your experience um, with homeschooling your own children and then working with so many other children that had special needs, foster children, and, and you know, obviously word gets around when somebody, you know, has the skills that you, you've developed over the years. Um, can you talk a little bit about your homeschooling experience? So you, you guys homeschool, how many kids did you have or how long have, you know, you, you homeschooled them? We, we have five children. Uh, we like to say five children all the time, seven children sometimes, uh, because the number varied a bit depending on who was staying with us. Um, so yes, I, we homeschooled. Sometimes we would put them in a classical school for a spell. Um, we've used a variety of things, but homeschooling is what we always come back to, I think. Yeah. Well, there is such a uh, an education you get just by homeschooling, right? I yes, mean, there's a there's absolutely. a kind of education that it can't be touched by going to college. And a lot of times mm -hmm. people look at this degree. Mm -hmm. If you don't have this piece of paper, you're not qualified to do something. Right. And yet we see homeschool families constantly succeeding mm -hmm. and, and excelling far above anything even that mm -hmm. the state would require uh, for a publicly educated you know student right. to be successful so that's fantastic so this um, 
this idea. Can you talk a little bit about this particular special need? What what do spellers do? Why what what is the need that is there? Well, spellers, there's a there's a re. Let's see, how would I put it? There is a um, a greater understanding now uh, that's emerging of what autism is, what Down syndrome is, and the capabilities of these students. We're used to looking on them. We're used to looking at individuals, looking at their ability to speak, and using that as a measure of their intellect and their mm. cognitive ability. And uh, what we're finding is that we were really off the mark. Um, as we are giving giving people a way to a way to communicate a part that bypasses the limitations of their speech, we're giving them this bypass route. We're discovering that cognition is spot on, mm. um, and this isn't an exception. This is what we're finding again and again and again and again, routine routinely. We see this. We see this change. So, if I'm hearing you correctly, you're saying so students um, or young people with autism, yes, um, their cognition is functioning highly, but their ability to communicate back is not. And so, we've been measuring the wrong standard to determine what their cognition level is or how well they're they're growing. And you're saying it's not in their ability to speak. And so, by giving them a particular tool to be able to speak, we're actually able now to measure their cognition. Is, is that close? That's close. That's close. When we bypass, when we bypass the speech, well, you, when you think of how we measure a child's progress mm-hmm. in academics, we look at the answer they're able to write down or the words they're able to speak. We ask them to spell an answer. We ask them, sometimes we want to back up from that and we'll say, okay, we'll touch a certain answer, touch the spot, touch all of those things require motor control. Um, the ability to motor plan, make a, a successful motor plan, to reach out and touch a certain, and then execute that motor plan that they mm. have thought of. Um, and then, and writing is a fine motor skill. And we're not used to thinking this way, but speech is a fine motor skill as well. Speech is incredibly complex and um, it is what we can call the finest of the fine motor skills. And so if we're, if the child is struggling with their motor skills, but we're using motor skills to assess their cognition, then we're assessing their weakness. We're not assessing their cognition. Mm. We're assessing we're accessing their motor skills. So what is being discovered then about their cognition now that we have this, you know, other way, a new tool of, of looking at, you know, measuring their cognition, are we discovering that their cognition is underdeveloped, normally developed, overdeveloped? What, what would be the, you know, what would be the consistent finding or is there one? There is a consistent finding. We generally find that cognition is at or above their peers. Mm. Um, that that's routine, um, a routine finding uh, with autism, with Down syndrome, et cetera. So Down syndrome, um, autism, students have a higher cognition, but they're having a difficulty using their motor skills to communicate back. And so we're misassessing. We're, we're thinking that maybe they're not picking something up, but in fact, they, they actually are. They're just not able to use the motor skills to communicate back. Right. When we, when we, when we reroute, like say, get bypass that uh, motor skill challenge, that f- challenge with the fine motor, we give, we take communication into the large motor. Um, we're finding that they are easily able to keep up with their peers. Wow. Uh, academically. So 
can you explain what spelling is then? So if, if spelling is the, that that's a larger motor skill, is that what I'm hearing you say? And so how does that work? Spelling to communicate uses a letter board. Um, we begin with a letter board. We begin with letter boards with letters that are very large and they're using a full arm motion in order to touch certain letters and we have to train that skill. We have to train it and train it and practice and practice and practice and practice and to build up new motor pathways um, and and they're able to do that. So we're so we use letter boards and they're able to touch each of the letters uh, in succession and create the words, the sentences, the paragraphs and the papers um, that uh, that reflect their thoughts. Fantastic. So is there a progress from moving from, say, the letter board to something of a finer motor skill, like a type pad or something? Or does yes. that, or how does that work? Right. There's a series. This is a very, uh, this is, there's a hierarchy of skills that we're building. And so we start with very large, then we move uh, very large, meaning that they, we've only got eight or nine letters on one board. Mm. They're a couple, two or three inches high. Then we move when the child is ready, we move to a 26 board that has all 26 letters on it. And we, so we've made them smaller, we've made it more complex. Uh, and then we move from there to a laminate board where the letters are smaller still. Um, there's even less sensory feedback with that one. And from there, a lot of spellers, um, if they desire, can move to a keyboard uh, that's held in the same position as the letter boards. They move from a keyboard and um, that can be connected to a device um, so that they can actively type um, their things. They're usually using one finger at a time and they're using that same motor pathway that we developed way back in a later mm. foundation for um, with that larger letter board. That sounds extremely gratifying to be able to, to see that kind of progress. And, I, and I'm certain it is probably for the, for the students as well, right? Yes. So how long have you been working with students in this particular capacity? And do you have success stories? I mean, are there, you know, are there examples of, of success that would, you know, would benefit our audience to hear about? Oh, it's so fun. Um, it's so fun. Um, so, yes, um, let's see. Um, we have a young man who, um, I call him a young man. Uh, I began working with him when he was 10 and he's the, he's one of the kiddos that prompted, um, my desire to learn, to learn more skill to, I needed, I needed another route to reach him. And so we were able to do a lot of things before spelling to communicate, but it was really, um, it was really spelling to communicate. That's really launched him into um, being able to say anything and everything. And, um, so I've asked him, I asked him once, um, recently, I, let's see, I asked him the question using a letter board, uh, to, for his reply. He said, I said, what is something that you can say to help others understand non-speakers better? And he thought about that for a minute He's on the 26 board now, so he can, and he's um, getting very fluent with it. And he thought about that for a minute and he spelled out letter by letter. Each letter was a project of itself. And he said, imagine being stuck inside a hard metal prison. That is what it is like to be non-speaking. Mm. I spent too many years trapped inside myself. People thought I was stupid but I'm smart and I need to find ways to help those who are still stuck in silence. 
It gives me a lump in my throat. I, I cannot imagine being in a position where people are thinking one thing about you, but you cannot communicate to them that it's different than what, what they're perceiving. Exactly. And to be clear, if you watch this, if you watch this boy, there are no words at all. Um, there, there's no words. His actions as he moves around the room still look, we haven't removed the autism. It's, he still looked, if you would just watch him you, and you watch how he moves, how he functions throughout his day, you would estimate three years old, maybe four years old at best mm. in terms of his functioning in normal life. That's what he looks like, but this is what he has to say. This so, is an example of the disparity between what's going on inside their head and what their bodies, how their bodies appear. I, I, I'm, I'm blown away. So you're saying, so we're, we're looking at somebody who's behavioral, you know, mm -hmm. um, disposition, their, their movements and things we would perceive three or four years old, yes. but they are communicating at a, I mean, high school plus, you know, exactly. level. I mean, in terms of their, their, uh, cognition. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, can I ask how old is this student now? You said you started working with them when they're 10. How old is he now? He's 13. 13. So for three years, you've made this kind of progress in, in, in just three years. Yes. How many spellers um, or are people involved in spelling to communicate? <clears throat> how many are there, say, nationwide or worldwide? I, I don't know what those statistics would look like. There's, there's around uh, 500 practitioners worldwide right okay. now. Yes, so, so, so it's people, gaining momentum. So people practicing this approach, but how many nonverbal then do you know? I mean, I know I'm, I'm asking you that kind of on the spot, but is there a, a, a number or a, an idea to get a, a percentage of the population? Do you mean how many non-speakers are there or how many non-speakers are using spelling to communicate? No, how many non-speakers are in the world? Like how many oh. people are in the condition that this young man just described? Millions. Millions upon millions. So we have milli yes. millions of people who have perfectly mm -hmm. solid cognition, yes. but because of some motor skills, they're not able to communicate. And, and, and there's only 500 that are involved in this. You that it, yeah, it's, it's a, we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> we have a lot of work. To you do. have a big, you have a big field in, in front of you. Yes. Um, all right. So how many students have you personally worked with over the years? Uh, with spelling to communicate, I think um, I'm, I'm going to guess somewhere between 20, 20 and 30. 20 and 30 students that, you, that you've worked with. Something like that. Wow. Okay. So this is fascinating. And, and I don't know, you know, uh, folks in our audience, um, may know people, maybe they have students of their own, um, that, you know, children of their own that, that need these kinds of services. You have, a, a, a an institution or, a, a, a um, a business that, uh, is helping these, uh, spellibrate. Am I saying yes, that correctly? Spellibrate. Can you yes. talk a little bit about that? How, how could somebody get a hold of you? How could they, um, use your services? What would that look like? Spellibrate, um, spellibrate.com is my website. Uh, I can be reached through that. There's contact buttons on there. You can reach me directly there. Spellibrate, the, the phrase itself, um, is coined. We, we kind of did an intermingling of spelling mm -hmm. 
and liberate and celebrate. I love it. And that and that is because of quotes like this from this young man, that that idea of being in a prison of silence. Being in that prison of silence. And then and if you see how he's phrased it, he says, I need to find ways to help those who are still stuck in silence. You see how he's distancing now he's distancing himself from those who are stuck. He sees himself as having been liberated in exactly. some capacity. Oh my goodness. Exactly. That yeah. is absolutely amazing. Um, now I know that you worked with Jubilee, <clears throat> a, a local classical Christian school um, at one point. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um, so how does classical Christian education work with uh, spelling to communicate students? Do, do these coincide together? Are there things that um, that just are seamless or, or do we have to work to bring them together? Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, I think this is an area where we need to learn to think like Christians. Mm -hmm. Rather than treating a child with autism as other and excluded from education, we, we need to recognize that um, that these children are made in the image of God. And as such, they are image bearers, mm. right? They are image bearers too. And, and rather than treating them as other and different, we need to find ways to effectively educate. And so um, classical education is quality uh, education, and we need to find ways to um, to make that available yeah. from for for our children with special needs as well. We need to recognize who they are. These are image bearers, same as you, same as me. I, I'm I'm blown away by this. So as as I'm imagining, I'm here listening to you and I'm imagining this. There are, say, a million, just to give it a, a rough number, of students made in the image of God who communicate differently than us. Mm -hmm. And if classical Christian education is about developing virtue and wisdom and really ultimately it's about human flourishing, flourishing as a human being, then classical education seems that it would be perfectly suited, the philosophy of classical education to think about students who um, need to flourish and we need to find avenues um, and spelling to communicate is one of those avenues in helping them achieve the kind of flourishment that we're looking for others who are, you know, verbal in their, in their communication. Mm -hmm. So we're just looking at different avenues of helping these students flourish. Amen. Wow. Amen. That's absolutely correct. So um, I want to bring, um, Dr. Gregory Soderberg into the conversation now. Um, Dr. Soderberg, good to have you. Um, I know you yeah. made the introduction. <clears throat> tell Great me, to be here. Tell me a little bit about your own background and your involvement with classical education because I want to bring the conversation back around to something you are doing uh, uniquely mm -hmm. in your classes, but I want to start maybe a little more generically and kind of funnel into what you're doing. So. Tell us a little bit about your background in classical education, your edu you know, your own personal education, and, and what led you here. Yeah, yeah. Well, just kind of um, to, to jump in on onto last question, um, how is spellers being used in classical Christian schools? And I think the answer is it's not. I think you can count on on one hand the um, the number of classical Christian schools who are even trying to um, serve students with special needs, and we're not aware of anybody. Um, who is actually using um, S2C in the classical Christian context. So there's a huge need and, and a huge opportunity here. Um, but yeah, I, I think my 
um, to go back to my childhood, um, I really credit my uh, parents and my mother with um, taking us to uh, places where we were able to interact with um, with people, adults and children um, uh, with special needs, uh, with disabilities. Um, and so that was just part of our life. And so no, I didn't realize at the time, but um, they were teaching me that these are people and that uh, we should love them and we should try and um, and to uh, to find ways to bring them into life and, and just to, um, so to, to not treat them as strange or um, unusual, although they can present in, in those ways, but to see the humanity um, behind uh, those things. Um, so, yeah, we, we both met at um, a new San, new San Andrews College, and uh, she always made better grades than me. I joke about that, <laughs> <laughs> um, except, in, <clears throat> except in history class. That was my one, my one edge. Uh, but yes, yeah, so I, I love learning. I love um, reading. And so uh, early on, um, I got into teaching. It was my first job out, out of college. And um, at that point, uh, it was actually Pastor Doug Wilson that said, I think you'd be great as a teacher. And so I jumped into that and pursued that and taught um, for about 16, 17 years uh, in a couple of various uh, schools. A regular brick and mortar schools, and uh, then when COVID hit, and uh, then Kepler got started, I jumped in um, at that point, and we were able to offer one dollar classes to tell the people who were in lockdown. Although it was mostly the homeschoolers that took advantage of, of that, <laughs> <Right>. which is <laughs> fine, <laughs> which is great. But it was, it, was, it was a great, it was a great intro to online education, and I didn't know what I was doing with, with online education, but I think that's. Uh, what we do as teachers is we we find ways to um, uh, to reach those students, no matter whether it's online, in person. We find out um, how they tick, what's unique about the that student. You know, um, in the in, in my early career, I, I think I tended to lump kids uh, into various categories. You know, good kid, bad kid, good student, bad student. Um, but God has really um, worked in my life and shown me that when you're teaching students, you're you're, you're just teaching one student, and that's hard when you have a large class. But you have to remember that each student is unique uh, with their challenges, um, difficulties. We have no idea what's going on in their life, what they're going through at that moment. And I've had students go through, you know, tragedies. Um, and just, um, you know, God has a sense of humor. Um, early in our, our lives, in our marriage, in our parenting, we um, kind of thought that there was no such thing as, you know, um, you know, learning disabilities. We thought that was just bad parenting. Um, <laughs> and so, so God has a sense of humor and he gave us, um, a couple of kids who really had some struggles and, um, we're not, uh, we're not neurotypical or, or just had various needs, you know, physically. Um, and so we had to learn how to, how to reach them, how to help them uh, in their educational process. And of course, she was always researching and finding out uh, all these things with big names I didn't really understand. But, um, but, but, but then also helping our our, our kids uh, get what they needed. Uh, we had one um, child in particular who, um, because he was forced to sit still at the uh, classical Christian school he was going to all day, and, and he would get into trouble because he had a hard time sitting still. You know, it turns out, um, you'll correct me on the science of all this, 
but basically his vestibular system wasn't getting enough stimulation. So, so he would come home and just spin around in circles, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I mean, boys do strange things, um, but this was just kind of unusual. And so she did research. And so we found out that this was actually a thing. And so she rigged up a, a swing sling in our house. And so he would just come and get wound up in there and just spin and spin and spin and spin. And that helped him to relax, to decompress, and just helped himself, uh, helped him to regulate himself. Um, so sometimes the way we do education, um, especially in the classical Christian world, assumes that kids can be put into a box yeah. of, you know, of our methodology or even our theology sometimes. But we forget that um, kids are different, and we need to have some flexibility. And we have principles and then methods, but we need to uh, be able uh, to adapt to uh, reach those kids and help them to develop what potential they have. I I love what you're saying here because in in many ways you are expounding on or expanding something we often say at Kepler that we try to encourage our teachers that we are teachers of students, not teachers of curriculum. Mm. And and so when when we think about that, you know, typically we're we're saying this in terms of what you were just describing. Every student has a different, uh, you know, um, strength and weakness and different family background. And so we need to be looking at those students. But this really expands when you think of, of spelling to communicate students or spellers, you know, or, or students with special needs, um, they just have a different set of needs than, you know, maybe the range of needs that we're typically used to, mm-hmm. you know, interacting with. And so this philosophy still just really applies and extends to, to all of this. We look at each of these students as needing to be shepherded, and, and, and that's really what education is, right, mm-hmm. is, is shepherding yeah. their hearts uh, to virtue and wisdom in, 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 in the Lord. Amen. Yeah. If I can just jump in and say that all of this, you guys are spot on with this. This is an area where we need to go um, further up and further in, in our understanding. Um, The the boy uh, Gregory was talking about, um, the the objective isn't to, you don't want to dumb down the curriculum. You don't want to lower the standard and say, oh, Susie has a hard time. Let's drop her down three grades and and remove remove all expectation. That's not where we're going. We're t- looking at the child, looking at their frame, looking at how they're wired, and trying to understand how to help them to, you know, here's the bar, and you set that bar high. Now let me help you get there. Wow. Right? And so the kiddo mm. that, uh, that Gregory is talking about, what we learned is that um, well, he had a sensory processing disorder. If we front load, if I would front load him with the input he needed and do that swing that he's talk- that Gregory was talking about and do some other heavy deep pressure things before that and then sit down and do math, well, he can do it. With- he can do it. Mm. You know, then he can do, you know, then, then you meet all needs and then you say, okay, here's a standard. Let's go. We're going to get there. And then he could. And so um, by understanding a little bit who it is we were working with and what that need was, then we were able to help him thrive. Oh, that, that's fabulous because in, in many ways this parallels the, the student you read, uh, his quote about being stuck, right? So yes. uh, for him, he needed to be liberated from how he was going to communicate, um, whereas your son you were talking about maybe needed had, – had a different sensory need. But, but in right. both cases, what we're doing is adapting and, and figuring out what are these obstacles 
but we're not dumbing them down. We're not, you know, the, the expectation, we're not treating them like they're lesser because clearly we're seeing the cognition is, um, you know, superior even in, in yes. many cases. Right. And precisely that 13 year old who, uh, who looks like a three or four year old when you observe him because of his autism, um, I'm doing seventh and eighth grade science with him now. Wow. Right. Because he's able to do that. Um, so again, what are the needs? What are the obstacles? Okay, we've got to find another way to communicate. Okay, we've done that. Now let's learn. Well, so this in many ways is a lot like online education. And and I want to back up here just a little bit, maybe and kind of bring these parallels together. Because when we think about online education, first of all, what we're doing at Kepler, you could not have done, say, 10 years ago, right? The technology mm-hmm. just did not exist. Um, my very first college class that was distance learning was, you know, writing a paper, snail milling it in, <clears throat> and then receiving back feedback and mm-hmm. a cassette tape or something like that, mm-hmm. you know, very inadequate. And so... Um, and I think uh, while Kepler got started before COVID, COVID really did launch us into thinking about, okay, what are the obstacles here that are needed to overcome so that we can use this technology to reach the students? So in many ways, even just online is another kind of way that we're removing obstacles or, or presenting ways to reach the student and communicate where, where they're at. And you're doing mm-hmm. something very unique um, by bringing spellers into some of your classes. Is that right? Yes, that is the plan for this next, uh, this next school year. Um, so uh, two of my classes uh, at this point are open, although I'm, I'm open to uh, the a possibility of having a spellers in other classes, but we wanted to start uh, with the Greeks, uh, uh, the old Western culture, Greeks, and then the Romans. Um, those are uh, typically uh, for younger students. Um, so, yeah, the uh, it'll be an interesting um, uh, experiment. I, we, we have not done it before, but we're um, going to work together. And I think in many ways the online um, uh, a platform is actually ideal uh, for these students uh, because many of them will uh, need to vocalize or need to move around uh, just to help themselves Um I'm say regulated. So uh, the fact that um, students are often muted if they're not speaking or they can uh, just turn the camera off. Um, so that won't be um, as distracting as it would be in a real, no, in, in a real classroom <laughs> in, 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 in a brick and mortar classroom. Yeah. So the embodied experience, um, you know, is going to lend to the kind of distractions that, you know, um, where those students are getting their needs met. And you're saying the online Mm-hmm. actually in many ways is going to be preferable because you have the ability to remove some of those distractions or limit mm-hmm. them anyway by you know m- muting the microphone or the camera or such mm-hmm. um yeah and they'll also not have to uh be in the classroom every day which you know requires a lot of you know um control or can be very uh, very stressful yeah. um uh, with lots of noise, activity, and so on. So with uh, our model, uh, with Oxford uh, tutorial model, where they watch a lecture, they have time to process it at, at their own speed as well. And so if we have to uh, maybe do some modifications uh, you know, in, in the reading list or you know, find audiobook um, options for them, and also uh, being able to uh, give them, you know, here's the questions I'd like you to prepare an answer for, you know, uh, so they're so they're not having to spell it out in class, which does take time. Mm-hmm. So they'll be able to 
um, be able to participate, and, and that's what they want. And, and so Cynthia is on various forums um, with spellers, and people are looking for you know online options. And as far as we can tell, there aren't aren't any or are very few of them. Um, there are there are some online options, but to to as far as classical Christian education, mm-hmm. that's where I can't find any. Wow. It, mm-hmm. It's just, uh, as far as I'm aware. Now, if there are some out there, I'm I'm delighted. I'm delighted to know that. Um, I can't see everywhere at the same time. Um, but, but yeah, classical Christian education. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to our audience, if, if you know of any um, classical Christian education, um, whether um, brick and mortar or online um, institutions that are uh, facilitating this kind. We'd, we'd love to hear about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to put you guys on the spot here. So uh, for just a moment, I um, I remember uh, when we were church planning, I remember hearing an illustration, and, and it was probably made up, I don't know, but it was an illustration about missions where they said, you know, this older missionary, the board sent him to this uh, place somewhere. Uh, no, I back up, I'm sorry. It was a, a shoe salesman. Uh, it was related to missions. Sent him to this place where people didn't wear shoes. It wasn't typical. And he's like, man, you sent me to this place and nobody has shoes. Um, how am I supposed to sell shoes to people who don't have them and you know don't wear them and yada, yada. And so he came back frustrated and they sent another young idealist. And he turned around and said, wow, thank you for this opportunity. Nobody has shoes here and I got all the shoes to sell them, right? <laughs> and, and so a lot of times how we're reaching people or, or meeting needs is a matter of perspective. And and so when you say there's a million um, nonverbal, you know, uh, or more in the world um, and you're opening the doors, it sounds to me like this could be floodgates at some point. Are you prepared to... Um, you know, welcome uh, more students, um, even teach other teachers how to do this. What what would be the, you know, the next step? I'm just, and again, I'm, I'm putting you on the spot hypothesizing, but if something like this was to blow up, what would be the next steps there? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, that, but, but that's what the church has always done. Um, you know, in ancient Rome, um, there was a need because of, of the, of, of the practice to expose of the unwanted children, yeah. so that there were all these babies who were uh, exposed and who were dying, and so it was the Christians who um, would go and would find them and would take them in and would adopt them. It was Christians who started hospitals. Um, it was Christians who started um, really schooling for everybody. It was Christians who started classical Christian education. So this is just another example of how we can live out, um, uh, live out the gospel of of showing our love through our actions. And so um, we have an opportunity. I think that b- because we are offering classical Christian courses, I, I think that will um, uh, screen some people out because they don't, <laughs> uh, they don't want a crazy, you know, a Christian conservative teaching my children. Um, but <laughs> I think there will be uh, people who value just the great books aspect of it. And once they realize we're not trying to, you know, um, shove things down people's throats. We're just trying to expose them to the classics. Um, so, but beyond that, yeah, I think there's a great opportunity to um, help other teachers and other schools uh, learn how to incorporate these students um, and give them at least the understanding that these students are capable. And here are some tools to give them the, uh, the ability to uh, to express themselves. Uh, excellent. Um, so, 
we, we, we heard from Cynthia, uh, spellbrate.com, right? This is where yes, we can right. find uh, more information or, or contact Cynthia. And then, um, Gregory, you're teaching on the Kepler platform this year, and you mentioned the Greeks, Romans, so you're teaching all four years of Old Western culture, mm-hmm. and then I think you're teaching rhetoric also, is that correct? That's right, yeah. Okay, so you can find Dr. Soderberg's uh, courses, all four years of Old Western culture, as well as rhetoric um, on the Kepler platform, Kepler.education, and as well, um, one of our partners, uh, Spellibrate, um, you'll be able to find that information on the Kepler website as well, uh, that'll direct to the website or go directly to Spellibrate.com. Well, Dr. Gregory Soderberg and Ms. Cynthia, it has been a pleasure having you on the show today and talking about um, such a great need and a great opportunity. Is there anything you'd like to leave our audience with as we close out the show today? Any final quotes or thoughts or anything that would be uh, meaningful for people to? Let's see. Well, quotes are almost never ending. Um, so uh, another another one um, so another idea, another thought, as you meet, as you meet people, uh, who are special needs, um, one thing I would leave you with is to presume competence, mm. uh, make the assumption, dare to make the assumption that that person is cognitively present instead of speaking about the child or the adult in front of them, speak to them. That's helpful. Let them take it in. And don't expect anything return. Mm. Give as God gives, liberally, freely, and speak to them and expect nothing in return. They might not look at you. They might not appear to um, to understand, uh, but they're taking it in. Uh, and if can I give you one more quote? Yes, please. They're, they're fun. Um, so a 23-year-old, um, this, is, this is Mark. I have permission to, um, to share about him. He gave me that permission. He's fluent enough now that I was able to talk to him about it. And um, he said, told by you, these stories, these stories are going to help others. And um, so a story from him, we were doing a, um, he's, he is what we call an unreliable speaker. And unreliable speakers are tricky because you they have words. And so that when somebody does have words, again, we go right back to that assumption that those words represent their cognitive ability. Mm. And his words make him sound, oh, maybe four. Okay. Or five. He can repeat. He can repeat a few phrases. Um, he can holler things, um, but he doesn't use his words communicatively. Okay. Um, anyway, and so he's been working so hard to develop the skills he needs for uh, reliable communication. He's been working so faithfully, and his mother's been working with him. And so we were everything we do is in the context of a lesson. So we were doing a lesson on honey badgers and learning all about their traits and characteristics and, and practicing spelling along the way. Uh, the lesson is an excuse to practice the skills we need um, to build those skills in a real systematic way. And so the prompt was, um, name an area of your life where you feel that you are relentless. We'd been talking about the relentless nature of the honey badger. And he said, I am relentlessly loving my mother very much because she did not give up on me or stop loving me, even when others said I could not really learn or understand anything. Others thought I was stupid 
but you did not stop trying to find a way to reach me. I'm so thankful to her for her hard work. Please do not give up on me. I am here and I am smart and everyone will soon know it too. Wow. Mm. Wow. (laughs) Well, I feel like we should probably just end the show on that note and let that resonate and sink in and think about it. Thank you both for being here today. And um, thank you for kicking off this new season with such a great episode, a great conversation. Um, The peace of Christ be upon all of you. God bless. Mm -hmm.